Never bargain with a man who has nothing to lose. Sayings of the Fool, Thenis Buell. Hello and welcome to the Legendarium Green Team's Malazan series. Welcome to episode two of the Bone Hunter series. I am Befuddled Panda and I'm joined by Huron Fan. Hello. Yes, not as a boy. Hey. And Ashamon. Hello. Huron Fan and Ashamon are the Malazan veterans. Yesna and I are reading the series for the first time. However, Yesna has ditched me in the dust. <laughs> And already finished the Bone Hunters. And, <laughs> and now Reaper's Gale. Gale. And apparently Reaper's Gale. I'm sorry, I'm so slow. It's not you, it's the podcast schedule. That is also true. And it's just my life. I, I start to hate reading. So I have to change things up. Yeah. Well, today we are covering Bone Hunters chapters 6 through 9. And... Everything up through these chapters is fair game for discussion. We will be using our usual chapter-by-chapter chapter format. So, this was an exciting section to read. Very intense. Yeah. Um, but let's start with chapter 6. Who's got the chapter 6 summary? I have the chapter 6 summary. Hit it. Chapter 6. Leoman arranges a chat with the Queen of Dreams as he makes his final preparations for Yagaten. Tavor decides upon a risky strategy. Ganos and Absalar part ways. Kalam turns out to be bad at climbing skykeeps. And Mapo gets distracted by a couple of dogs. That, that Mapo. Mapo. Mm-hmm. That Trell. <laughs> Honestly, I have the same reaction when, when dogs come say hi to me. I completely ditch my traveling companions as well. Just kind of cuddle with them for a while. Someone finds me passed out in a crevasse later. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, that was a hell of an ending that we didn't get uh, <laughs> get answers to for a while. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, our schedule kind of put it in a weird place because it's like at the beginning in, instead of at the end where it is if you just read the book like it's structured. And that ending, especially when you know, because I knew ahead of time that Chapter 7 was going to be all about the Siege of Egaton, it's just like, like it was such a cliffhanger, and I was so upset. And I knew Chapter 7 would be even more upsetting, and I was just like, what a prologue to, to Chapter 7. Like, what a way to just drive everything. By the way, uh, the the way that this... that um, is it this is this the chapter where all the different groups are are like something's coming? Oh, we got to move our campsite because something's coming. Karsa draws his sword and he's like, "Oh, there's something coming." Is this the chapter where that happens, or is this? Yeah, the, I think or so. Is that the? Yeah. Uh, so know, we can talk about it now, anyways. <laughs> it was either in the previous chapter that we talked about last episode and we didn't talk about it, or it was this chapter. But in either case, I expected them all to converge with the troll brawl when that kept happening and then it was just Mapo and Akarium and I don't really understand like what the payoff for everybody saying that was supposed to be like even now having read all four of these chapters I gotta be honest I don't remember that <laughs> if I had to guess it was just uh, kind of like a, 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 
Yagatan paying off, like, forward through time, essentially. You know how uh, in Watchmen, there, there's a big deal made about tachyons, and they propagate forwards and backwards through time? Um, I think it was just kind of like that, and like a, a big foreboding in the Seven Cities that uh, people of a spiritual nature could sense. Um, I got a question for everybody else. Um, I love Mapo and Akarium, and the last two times, two books, I think, that we've had Mapo and Akarium in the book, they were barely in it. So I'm mm -hmm. just wondering if, like, you still had that uh, love that I have for them, even though we haven't seen them basically in three books. I'll be honest with you, no. <laughs> <laughs> did you like them at, at in Deadhouse Gates? I did. Um, but like for the most part of the, the, these four chapters that we read, like the Mapo Aquarium sections were the most boring. I think that Mapo had a decisive moment in Deadhouse Gates. And up until now, he's essentially like, he hasn't been able to come to grips with that. And, and like that moment has directly led to this one. So to me his character hasn't really been going anywhere since then. He's just kind yeah. of been sad because he's realized, like, his his thing with Ikarium had already effectively ended. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's just, like, an official separation. I was distraught when he fell down the crevasse. Me too. I still cared. I still cared. <laughs> <laughs> of um, course, I read Deadhouse Gates three times. Might affect <laughs> that, you know, you build a lot more rapport with the character that way. Um, I mean, I think for me it was, like, getting a bit tiring, because it was very repetitive. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I agree. And so maybe that's why they were used so sparingly between Deadhouse and this, and, and yeah. uh, because it was like there wasn't much development. And you had, um, like, up till this point in this book, you had, like, the Kachinjamal stuff, or Kachinjaruk stuff or whatever, to, like, keep them doing something. Mm -hmm. uh, while their arcs stayed stagnant up to this moment. <laughs> they were more interesting when there were other characters interacting with them. If When it was just the two of them, it just, it was very repetitive. So like in, what, uh, Midnight Tides? No, yes. When, they weren't um, in Midnight Tides. When House of Chains, House of Chains, mm -hmm. when Karsa Orlong, like, was interacting with Akari and Mapo. That was interesting. That was but the then, only scene they were in in that book, too, I think. I think there's one other but yeah. It was sparse. Um, I think the most disappointing thing by far in the, this this section is that um, prior to this, uh, Mapo um, took out his uh, bag of holding, and he took out, like, a regular old mace, and he's like, I, I don't need any of my magic weapons right now. <laughs> and he just doesn't use a magic weapon when he's fighting this, this uh, god being. And that's very disappointing to me. <laughs> I want to see what kind of stuff Mapo has. In his back of the holding. Mm -hmm. Is this teasing us for the future of what Mapo will do? Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a Chekhov's gun set up there. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you whether or not it pays off, because uh, Steve doesn't always <laughs> like to follow tropes. <sighs> yes. Um, I, I know this is from the previous section, but I don't think anybody mentioned it. I really liked the gag where they're going to climb down and Mappo like stuffs his bigger bags into smaller bags of holding until he has it down to like the fanny pack of holding. Mm -hmm. I thought that was hilarious and I loved it. Loop bags of holding. 
Yeah, I think that was this section, actually. I don't think so. No. They weren't exploring uh, no, the sky No, because it was here. before they go, went down to find the Kachane Fortress. Anyway. Um, it's okay to move on. I want to talk about Bent and Roach and how much I love them and would die for them. Yeah. Uh, you would you would die for a couple of dogs? You fool. Absolutely. Bent, uh, I, I love, Kenneth gives a very, very long description of Bent and Roach. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's not uh, positive. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just, uh, I, I love them so much. And uh, at one point, what happens? Uh, Roach, who does Roach pee on? Was it Kenneth's Kenna, boot? Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just like that dog, the goal. He's just marking his territory. Yeah. Kenneth just happens to be part of his territory. Her, mm-hmm. I actually think. Or her. Yeah. Um, okay, in this section, we do see an, the the dead dragon, Sorit. Mm-hmm. And Sorit was part of, I guess, they were aspected to Cirque. Mm-hmm. And something is happening where, like, somebody is killing off all of the main creatures. Yeah, the dragons, dragons seem to be aspected to Warren's. Or Warren seemed to be asked to, aspected to dragons. Um, yeah. And, then, and they had some deal with Cruel. And uh, Osirk, uh is now uh, the only guy who's uh, aspected to Serk. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> like, like Whenever this guy anyone, shows up in the story. But, like, anyone alive? Or any just of any of the Yeah. Yeah. The Elaint, specifically. Okay. The pure He's dragons. He's not He's a... Heist Leosin. Yes, he is. But he has a, a, a land blood. Because um, he's... Wait. Osirik is Lorik's father. Yeah, he, he's kind Rick. of the mirror to Anamander. Okay. And if I remember correctly, Lorik is the son of Queen of Dreams and... No. No. I don't, I don't, I don't know think we know is Lorik's mother. Oh, I thought I we he did. T- he spoke to Osirik about it. Yeah. When they met, but I don't. I don't remember. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the Queen of Dreams. Uh, like, yeah, it could, it's entirely possible. Could be. It's mentioned actually that, that you're saying that. Yeah, Triss. Triss gets around sexually and physically and figuratively. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of character arcs that ended a long time ago and are just kind of being brought to the fore now, um, Tavor figures out uh, that Dujek is essentially just kind of like a dead man walking, and mm-hmm. One Arm's host as. Uh, uh, it seems not going to recover from Black Coral. That's interesting. She doesn't even know the guy. And Ke- Keneb seems impressed by her uh, ability to Fiddler read the room. Seems to impressed. Oh, it, it, Fiddler. oh, it's Keneb speaking to Fiddler. Yeah. Yeah. Keneb was like, what do you think of this? And Fiddler's like, ah, she's better at reading people than I thought. <laughs> yes. Well, and she kept that to herself, you know, through however long. She's probably known it since House of Chains. We don't get it until she tells it to her fist, and it's like, you choose what to do with this information now that you're hiding it. Yes. And only Kenneb, too. Yeah, just one fist. She doesn't trust very many people. and <laughs> No? Yeah. Um, it's also uh, very dangerous information, because mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Kenneb or Fiddler points out, um, when she doesn't tell people, her soldiers can get just, just get angry at her. They sell a right. Dujek to look up to. Um, and uh, if they learn that Dujek is essentially just a broken man, like, who do they get to have faith in? Right. Not the Empress. 
No, no, I'm a Lazine apologist, but uh, you cannot have faith in Lazine. <laughs> She's not inspiring. No. I'm going to go out and say something I think you'll agree with me. The most interesting person in this chapter is Korab. <laughs> um, this is the chapter where I started warming up to Korab. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a big yeah. helmet. Uh, he's hilarious. First of all, like he just keeps on giving titles to uh, Liam, and, Liam. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's got the helmet. And the helmet's funny. Uh, he has some really interesting internal monologue. Yes, which I um, was like, is this platonic loyalty, homoerotic? <laughs> like, I, I think he's got romantic feelings or some sort of entanglement with Liam. And- I think I, he's just a religious zealot, but uh, I understand the homoerotic angle. I think that it's not. I think that it's ambiguous, and it's left up to the reader to decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to read something because I think it's hilarious. He would have to watch her carefully, hand on the group of his new cutlass, ready at a moment's notice, and cut her clean in half, head to crotch, then across diagonally twice, swish swish, right shoulder, left hip, lift shoulder, right hip, and watch her part ways and do deep bound explosion. Yes, the first hit of betrayal. So he's thinking about Dunsparrow, right? And I just love how childish this seems. And also, the fact that he has a new cutlass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Which uh, he, he almost losing... immediately loses in the actual Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see a list of, like, all of the weapons that Korup has lost. <laughs> in the... <laughs> he goes through them. He, he transfers all of his bad luck into his weapons. And he's just left with good luck. That's a interesting way to view it I, i'd buy that it's um, like uh it's like uh just the the jewish faith <laughs> in fact in the old times they would put all the sins of the community onto a lamb and then they would send that mm. lamb out into the wilderness mm. it might not have been lamb but you know you get the idea mm-hmm. yeah they like there were birds and also yeah anyway um the the core piece like i did like seeing the transition from like in these chapters that we read, right? Like in this chapter when he is hating Dunsparrow and he's he just sees her as being a Malazan, a Malazan soldier, even though she betrayed the Malazan Empire. Um, but Dunsparrow herself doesn't see herself as Malazan. She's like, I was born on Quantali, like that's my people. And Korob was, like, so confused. He was like, what? Like, Malazans are Malazans. Like, mm-hmm. you're all the same. Doesn't matter the hue of your skin, the tilt of your eyes. Like, no matter your variations, you're all Malazans. And then we see that transition, that growth um, for Korob throughout, well, particularly Chapter 7. Where, you know, he uh, he realizes, oh, there's more to Malazans than just the Empire. He becomes an actual yeah. human being. Yeah, <laughs> and they don't eat babies. Yeah. <laughs> so far, uh, during that scene, all I can imagine is, uh, but steel's heavier than feathers. <laughs> it's just like the guy cannot get it through his head that the Malazan is made up of t- different people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's like a like a very common thing to do in North America, especially in Canada. Uh, just to think of like. The, na- the Native Americans were here before we came, and they're just like one homogenous people, right? And they lived with right. the land, and they're very in tune with it. And no, that's, America's that's a just big not place. the case. Yeah, there was like thousands of tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all had very distinct, well, they had distinct cultures, um, although there were cultural similarities, of course. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Which yeah. is kind of ironic because, uh, like, in relation to Korab, because I'm sure he would be able to tell the difference between all the different tribes of Seven Cities. But then when he looks at the Malazans, he's like, no, they're all Malazans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you start thinking of people as the other, it just becomes like an amorphous blob. A homogenous, yeah. Yeah. It's like AP told us. Damn mm-hmm. foreigners. Um, I think you mean Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so I recently learned something that seemed relevant to um, a part in this chapter where um, it was Keneb and Temol and like Gaul. They were talking about like strategy, right? What to do about Yagaten. And Keneb's like asking Temol for his thoughts on what strategy they should use and Tamal was like very um he was still upset that Coltane had sent him away during the chain of dogs um and he was like well because Kenneb was like oh you know you have the influence of Coltane and Tamal was like yeah well he sent me away blah 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 um and what I had recently learned about rear admirals is like a rear admiral in the navy um it's like where their placement is like why are they called a rear admiral so in the navy like when you're going to battle the fleet is split up into three sections and so you have one for the admiral one for the vice admiral and one for the rear admiral the vice admiral is the one that goes in the front and then it's the admiral and then the rear admiral and the reason is because like the vice admiral and the admiral are more are supposed to be more experienced in battle uh, and fighting and the rear admiral is the more junior one and so they're behind um, to be protected and when Keneb was like thinking about Tamal he was like Coltane haunts you still Tamal Coltane sent you with Duiker to keep you alive, not to punish you or shame you. Like, why don't you accept that? And I was like, oh, Timol was the, the rear admiral. He's the junior. And Coltane and his other, yeah, uh, leaders, like, took the brunt of it. Mm-hmm. Thanks. That's cool. a good observation. Yeah. Uh, I really am growing to love Timol a lot. And he had a great line. Uh, the first casualty among the defeated is recalling their own list of crimes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're victims. We didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, it's unfortunate that humans uh, really like to simplify things. Um, yes. And in doing so, you lose so much nuance. Um, especially when, like, your side is the victims. It's it's hard to ha- have a have a balanced take there where it's you you can both sympathize with them and criticize them for their own failings especially since humans tend to root for the underdogs um just as a byproduct of our nature mm-hmm. so uh we got from tavor in her own words basically her philosophy on command would you did you guys what do you think about that can you remind me command does not come from consensus uh, i deliver mm-hmm. the orders and my officers are to obey them they should be relieved, and that is the case, for all responsibility lies with me and me alone. No mm-hmm. one else shall have to answer to the Empress. Mm-hmm. The buck stops here. I uh, I really like Tavor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, if I would just make a, a, a 
criticism of her command style, I'd, I'd just make it like a bit more obvious when she takes advice from other people because I think like it's entirely possible that she didn't have a plan for Yigaten and then mm. just like, oh, Temel's idea is good. Let's just use that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, she, she's very much a just focus all your hatred on me. This is fine. I can take it. I will assume all the responsibility for our failings. And she okay. doesn't really take credit for the successes either. Yeah, very self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. It's noble in a way, but irritating for people below her. I, I, I still, um, I think Coltane, I think Coltane's style is more, is more my style. Because he's still, you know, he had the, he had everyone airing their ideas. And then he was like, all right, now here's what the is going to happen. Whereas she just like, doesn't even do, it. you know, like he could, he's still like, has the town hall and then he's like all right you know now we're gonna do it my way based on hearing all of you and in the process he like was able to like draw out like who's who and who's you know with me and who's like less reliable and who's a useless traitor and who can manipulate during this town hall and you know he was able to like use that consensus process but then he still makes all the command decisions and all the responsibility falls on him so it's just um, like it's like a slight tweak of hers, but I think it's in a better. I prefer Coltane's command style personally. I I do think Coltane is more charismatic, but I also think it's important to remember that Coltane was like an already established Giga War leader uh, before this happened, and he already had this cadre of people around him who he could he could trust, and he had his, you know, he had, he had his Wiccans, um, and they all knew him. They knew who he was. Um, and Tavor doesn't really have that. She just kind of like came out of nowhere. Um, well, so yes. but how is she, she going to develop sl- that? Yeah, noble. Um, through winning, I assume. <laughs> um, but yeah, she does need to emphasize that she's the one in charge, and she can't have people usurping her authority. Um, so it's a tough balance to watch. I don't think she does it perfectly. But I uh, think she she kind of it's this vicious cycle that she. Um, what's the word perpetuates because um i think her personality just like personality wise the two of them are very different Mm -hmm. and even though you know there's not really as much sexism in this world i still wonder like if her being a woman um has anything to do with why she is why she feels like she has to be the way she is um but it's also like because she doesn't change how she interacts with her subordinates, she feels like she has to continue like this um, image of I am stoic and I know what I'm doing and she can't be vulnerable and it just and then her subordinates are upset with her because they, she, she, they don't feel like she trusts them and yeah, it just continues. It would be very nice if she had a bolt, you know. Someone yeah. like that who could just, who knows who knows her precisely and who is a hard-as-nails person that can just kind of lay it out there for other people and, and take the take take the flack from her subordinates that, you know, like, generally should be reserved for her. Like, Which Bolt I... was like, he was the jerk that Coltine right. needed <laughs> a lot of the time. I do wonder if like fiddler could kind of fill that Kaneb kind of 
fills that role. A little bit, role. but, like, Kaneb is also, like, super inexperienced, right? Like, he was, yeah. yeah. But I would like to see Fiddler. I don't know, maybe there's a Tavor Fiddler. <laughs> Fiddler and the, the other experienced sergeants are kind doing that in the low level for her. Yeah. But that not in the be... same way. So, I think that also her her being from a noble house impacts the way that she's acting because hmm. she wants to, like, not come off as being like this corrupt you know mm. person that just came that just got promoted because of her blood and is like a complete fop and useless so she's like extremely rugged and has like no you know she's not she has, makes no attempt at fashion and she's just like you know she's got the cropped hair and she's stoic and she's stern and she's like trying to be like no I'm a serious soldier because mm-hmm. I'm not like and then you know on top of it um, there's Ganoas and his, uh-huh. like, as far as she knows, I'm pretty sure, because Fiddler and her haven't had that conversation, neither has Quickbin, neither has Kalam, about what happened with her brother. Mm-hmm. She just thinks he, like, defected or something. It was a traitor. But, yeah, so, like, she's got that, like, as part of her house's reputation. That's true. And she hasn't, like, uh, and, and you mentioned Fiddler, and I think the problem with that idea is that she would have to drag Fiddler kicking and screaming into that role because I know. he has that he has that old guard mentality of uh, of of like all the malaise and old guard, which is like, don't promote me, don't promote me, don't promote me, don't notice me, uh, yeah. you know. So uh, so does yeah. pores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. please don't promote me. Yeah. <laughs> I love kindly and pores. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. And Gessler <laughs> have gone yeah. backwards. I agree with you, Panda, but from a different perspective. So hmm. uh, even if this uh, Malazan culture isn't steeped in sexism like our world is, the author, at the very least, is. Uh, so Erickson mm-hmm. is going to be writing her from the perspective, wanting to give off this maybe uh, a perspective that maybe a woman in that position in you know our world might, might have to go through or take. I have a question. If Tavor were a male character... Will we talk about her, that character as much? I think she would just come across differently in a lot of ways. Because Coltane does have a lot of her mannerisms. Like, he does not explain himself yeah. very much. Right? Like, he just comes in and he tells people what to do a lot of the times. And then sometimes he listens. But a lot of the times he just leaves. Or he just makes no indication that he's listened to their, what they're saying. And, uh, like, insults them <laughs> or whatever. Uh, um, although he uses his like core group to then communicate everything outward. Like yeah. they'll like pull Duiker where they want him. They'll tell the sappers where they need to be to like influence the plan. And so like, so that it all kind of still comes together and everybody knows, like everybody who needs to know knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say that on. Tavor is relying on her sergeants to do that uh, because she knows who they are. Um, but is but that more portrayed? Passive, right? Yeah. It, it is I more like passive and it's a lot less, um, there's a lot less communication between DeVore and her sergeants, but uh, someone in House of Chains, I think, said that, oh, yeah, the command structure is kind of, it, it's kind of reversed, and the sergeants are exactly where they need to be on the low levels so that they can make the tactical decisions that mm-hmm. they need to, because um, the army is very inexperienced. Okay, I'm bored with talking about Tavor now. Yeah, we can move on. <laughs> yeah, I want to move on, too. Kalam gets uh, gets to climbing, and then he gets tired of climbing, and then he calls on Cotillion, 
who is a very responsive god. Good job, Cotillion. My my favorite part of that was how Kalam's initial thoughts are like, maybe the Sky Keep is magic proof. And it's just that quick bin like fell down. Uh. Um, but his initial thinking is like, oh, the, the magic doesn't work up here. And maybe it's the Sky Keep. And, you know, he's like trying to approach it from like this metaphysical, like doesn't understand magic, trying to get it perspective and then he's like wait cotillion why is your magic working and he's like oh quickbin's just passed out down there <laughs> yeah like what actually yeah. happened with with quickbin and was it stormy mm. or yeah. yeah did they did the, how did they fall i think there's like a cave-in basically because oh. like, like one temple, moment yeah the temple roof that they were just on just collapsed. collapsed like they didn't even know they were on a temple roof it was like uh. dirt and turf Okay. And it was over this hollow temple, and it, it happened off screen. But yeah, that's how I um, imagined it. I think uh, this little mini arc that Kalam and Quick Ben have here is just a lesson on not overcomplicating the situation. Like uh, <laughs> this is jumping ahead a bit, but it, it turns out uh, Stormy has the brilliant idea. Uh, they don't need to go in the sky keeps. The sky keeps are right yeah. there. They've stopped. <laughs> I like. Why you are already we trying know to get what's in, there? in it. You, you don't know why you're wanting to get in there. It's just it's just nonsense. <laughs> Let's just yeah. go back to. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Yeah. So um, I think it's entirely possible the cave-in is just a cave-in. They are just yeah. They're okay. just making a mountain out of a molehill here. All right. Um. Yeah, I, I I like that. I like Stormy's kind of takedown of like the 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 questing adventure trip yeah. in that way. He's like he's like, oh, you think you have to do all this stuff, but you really don't. But like, you really you've, don't. You've accomplished your mission. You know? Yeah. He's like an enlightened murder hobo. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I enjoyed most about that section were just Kalam and Cotillion's interactions and just Cotillion running with it. Just very casual, very human. He's the kind of god that we all want, right? Like, he's very chill. He shows up when you ask for help, and uh, he's just willing to talk about his own failings. Yep. And when he steals people's entire lives and continues to do so, he feels bad about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I'm gonna use you, but I'm not gonna feel good about it. (laughs) Um... A little more serious, but not really. Nefarious bread. That this is like the is this the longest running joke in this whole series? Why do you think it's a joke? Talking about nefarious. He's just really cool. He doesn't exist, right? I'm like that's the that's the gag, right? What is nefarious? I mean, bread like a cockroach or something? No, it's like you know. Okay, but before you read Malazan, you hear about these characters, and like you're like, oh, Anna Manarik is so cool, and you hear mm-hmm. all about... You don't know Anna Manarik, right? Sure. It's all built up until you actually get to meet him. Yes, yeah. now do you and, think we're and, actually going to meet Nefarious Bread by the end of this series? I don't know. Maybe that's the punchline of the Crippled God, is like Nefarious Bread's just there at the end. Smile and saw thought him he was the other day. Into- yeah, really right. cool. <laughs> I wish I had... Oh, man. We get, okay. Should we take a wager? Listeners, take a wager. <laughs> take a wager for us. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll, 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 on my first read-through, I actually didn't even register the, the talking about Nefarious Red. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I went it's like almo- everywhere. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I, I was not as an, I was not reading it uh, super attentively all the time. 
and like fair, it's, it's possible I, I i processed that nefarious bread was mentioned but i probably didn't connect the dots because he hasn't shown up on page yet mm -hmm. um <laughs> yet yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah um last thing i'll put out there is so bottle like sees a premonition or something through uh, the whatever aerosol. that yeah aerosol. Like, just, there's there's just a child wait. to come, the only pure candidate for a new throne of shadow, a throne commanding a healed realm. Yeah. We, you know who the child is, right? It's... Um, do I? So... Is it, are you... Is it Grub? That's it. I had thoughts about this, actually. Um, a couple oh, wait, of child things. to come. Hmm. So, Aerosol... I don't really understand the mechanics of Aerosol. I don't uh, it either. It seems like she can like flit in and out of time at different points and like cause and effect aren't necessarily in linear order with the Aerosol. Um, so like I'm not clear as to whether the baby that she's currently carrying right. is Troll's kid or someone else. Uh, I know that in, or I think that in Midnight Tides we were told that Kettle was a child of the Aerosol. My initial thoughts then was like, oh. oh, is that Troll's kid? But then Ash and Huron, I don't know if this was a red herring, but they pointed out that she's not Tyst, she's human. So then I was like, okay, maybe not. And now I'm wondering if, like, she ends up getting knocked up by Bottle at some point later in the series and Kettle's Bottle's kid. I, I don't know. I wasn't even going to bring this up, but you guys, like, highlighted it. So I was just like, <laughs> what the hell? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have it. There's no theory here. It's just like, I'm just shooting at the wall and seeing that nothing is sticking. I don't know. Um, Do you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> no comment. Uh, yeah, no, no comment. Obviously, you can't um, comment. Actually, one comment. Uh, if listeners <laughs> are curious, um, the idea that time isn't just a series of causes and effects uh, is called B-theory, and it's a very interesting philosophical idea. Uh, it, oh, it has an idea like, you know, time is a flat circle, you know, it's... Uh, Chapter it's seven. Dimension. Yeah. <laughs> I have no theory. I don't know. I just want to know more about Grub. Is the, this is yeah, the part where Kieran's going to tell us that we'll find out more about Grub, Grub in the novels of the Lazen Empire. I'll, I'll be honest. You're <laughs> not going to find out everything about everybody in this. There's going to be there's going to be mysterious characters show up. There's going to be serious characters that have shown up. You're just not going to find out what's what's going on there. Mm. I know right. that he becomes the first sword of the empire, right? That's true. First sword of the late empire. From an epigraph. Mm, I forgot about that. All right, let's move on to chapter seven, the beast of a chapter. Who's got the summary? I do. <clears throat> Leoman of the Flails invites the 14th army to a barbecue, and some marines go spelunking. That's true. <laughs> That's what happens. Sounds yummy. <laughs> Unfortunately, he forgot to tell them to bring their own meat. Mm. So they have to make do with what they have. Oh my god, that's dark. <sighs> um, um, my first note is poor, stupid Crump. How do y'all feel about Crump? I was going to ask that. He's a dangerous lunatic. <laughs> he got a lot of them killed. Uh, why no this character? Uh, Why does this runners. character exist? He's, uh, he's from Mott. What's the freaking <laughs> because point? Because the Mott Irregulars are this long-running joke. and He's a high I'm, marshal. 
<laughs> I'm sure they're from like the uh, D&D campaigns or something, but they're hilarious. Um, um, I I think he's an interesting character. I, I just, I honestly feel bad for him, but at the same time, I'm just so angry at him. Yeah, I, I like I like how the comic relief, it it, it really bites them. Because he's, he's not just an idiot, he's a very dangerous idiot. And he did yes. get a lot of sappers and marines killed. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Erickson and he is survived. really good at intertwining comic relief with, like, tragic elements. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, yeah. You could be, like, on top of each other, like, laughing, tears in your eyes, back to laughing. Yes. Or it's... both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel bad every time I laugh at Hellion. Ha 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 ha. Alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> Manageable alcoholism. Here. Come on. She's a social <laughs> Uh, I is love she? how she like. No, she's not. <laughs> she has a problem. I love how she like is uh, totally competent when it comes to battle. Oh yeah, yeah she's well, so right up. Times. Yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah I love that about her. You know, like yeah, there are I just people like out there who uh, are totally facetious a lot of the times, and then when uh, um, stuff hits the fan, then they just kind of can very comfortably assume the role of command or just you know slot right in mm. her subordinates think highly of her or at least herb i mean herb does, herb does. <laughs> but herb has never served under anybody else so it's like she, she got him out alive of, out of this alive so that's pretty she did get is it really him. her or is it more him well, well she, she she's she the one command. that and she yeah. Led them to Un- the until she had to go underground, she- it was all her. And oh, then he sure. knocked her out because of her crippling <laughs> spider phobia. Oh my goodness! This was a very I'm... hard chapter to read for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not just because of the death and stuff, but like claustrophobia and mm, creepy yeah. crawlies. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No. When I met this character in the prologue, I certainly did not think she would be back to play such this this huge role like right away. I was just like, oh, what that was a fun character. We'll never see her again. Uh huh. Mm. Wait, is this is the Bone Hunters the book where you guys say it's like two books in one, or is that a different one? Okay, because I did realize like, um in the previous chapter when they were talking about their strategy and what they were going to do with your cotton it was like oh no we're just gonna go and we're gonna attack none of this like long drawn out siege thing and then when we got into chapter seven i was like okay typically this would be like a climax for a regular book Mm -hmm. but we're getting it a lot sooner so i was like well what's gonna happen (laughs) For the rest You'll of find the book. <laughs> I think Erickson has undersold how ridiculous, how much just awesome is packed into this book. Because I think it's three books in one. But three? This is the end of the first of them. Yes. Three? Oh, interesting. Oh, freaking goodness. Yeah, we can talk about that at the end. But, uh, yeah. Okay. There's a major tonal shift later that I think justifies saying mm. this is kind of a new thing. But. Okay. I'd like to talk about Korob. Okay. Yes, of course you do. That's. <laughs> I think that's just the drum you're banging this episode. Can we talk about Korob now? I'm going to be talking about Korob until 
Well, until uh, Korob dies? I'm not saying anything. Until Korob <laughs> retires happily with uh-huh, uh, sure. a, a beautiful wife and so um, I think he's going to have an epic death. Um, I'm sure Huron knows this already, uh, but I don't know. Ash, do you listen to Tim Very Big Books? No. So Erickson was going to kill Korab off in this chapter. Ah. Uh, and he said that something held him back. Hmm. And he and he said, like, when you get that feeling, you have to follow it and, like, see where it's going to take you. So this was all, like, unplanned, that all I this see. direction that Korab went here after I'd this like, point. I'd like to see Steve have a chat with Vince Gilligan from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Because Vince Gilligan does that a lot. Um, and I'm feeling they could produce a very interesting conversation. Hmm. So, Korab has quite the arc. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he, uh, he learns to love the, mal- mm. the Malazans. He finds humanity in them. He, he saves becomes the children. a dad to these children. He, yeah, he rejects he, the fanaticism that he, he does. was wed to all of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's strength. And mm-hmm. I, I, I cried from a lot of his lines, yeah. especially was, when he's found all the children. It was mm-hmm. kind of forced on him, but uh, it is still an excellent thing that people are able to do that. And he saved our favorite character, Fiddler. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, he did save Fiddler. Good job, Cora. Even though he could have thrown him out, and everybody thought he did, too. Mm-hmm. Honestly, uh, until you said that here, and I didn't connect completely, but... I just realized I had a similar arc to Korab in my real life. Mm. Uh, like abandoning a previous fanaticism. I've had it t- like twice, actually. Sometimes you replace it with another fanaticism and you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. But, That's what Korab's doing. Yep. He's going to get oh, really into rescuing orphans. <laughs> well, okay, that's not that bad. I think you could be about Oh, that anything could be fine. bad if you take it to his logical extreme. Cora and <laughs> Kalan. You have to have orphans to save them, right? Oh, no. Oh, God. No. <laughs> no. no. Korab and Kalam can, like, go and bond, you know? Oh, yeah, they can bond over their, the hundreds of children Kalam has right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kalam, absentee father extraordinaire. <laughs> Hey, Manala's got it, right? I think last time we talked to Steve, right, he said he will kill off a character he doesn't like their name, but he was thinking about killing off Korab, Bilanth, and Wallace. Uh, That's that probably track. what saved Korab. <laughs> so, like, Erickson didn't, didn't know, like, what it was that kept him from killing Korab? It just, he just had a gut feeling? Yeah, that's what he said. I think Steve's so a I very think... intuitive person. I thought the bit that Kieran just referenced was in the um, was in the Tim Very Big Books interview, but maybe not. Ah, maybe he did. We'll just yeah, take credit for their interviews from now yeah. on. <laughs> Steve told us. <laughs> no one will notice. Uh, what else happened in this? There are a lot. Oh, okay. I mean, so there was something that was a bit annoying about this chapter. There was so much switching of perspectives, and it was like... It's chaotic, right? I guess it like mirrors, yes, but at the same time, it was like because he doesn't always lead with, you know, oh, Mm -hmm. this is the character we're following. You're just like reading and they'll be like, okay, we're back with this character or these characters. And then it's just a lot of back and forth. Like, if this had been a film or 
you know, like a visual format, it would have been super annoying. I I was just thinking that'd be an excellent. Yeah. Know, same thing. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, yeah, no, that's 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 fair. It, it, yeah, it, it is very jarring to get constantly shoved in other people's heads. Um, but I, yeah, but I think that gives you like a real sense of the totality of 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 the battle in a way I, that like, I like if it. you just stuck with like four guys that survived or something, you wouldn't get. Yeah, but for your preference, I mean, it, it is kind of annoying. I, yeah, I like prefer, like but... you have to reorient yourself every time, um, which depending on your uh, narrative stamina. Can well, it's get... also it's length. Also, it's also yeah, it's a length of chapter. each time you're with a perspective. Sometimes oh, it's like just it's like too short. Yeah, sometimes it's just like you know a couple paragraphs, and then you switch, and then you know it's just yeah. Or the perspective of somebody who dies, then he's crying about his mother. Uh, he skinned his knee skinning his knees so that was that i think really was one of the best pieces of the chapter it like really set the tone in to my soul when Um, i read that part i think steve lifted that almost straight from saving private ryan Mm. there's a you know it does have that yeah it does almost exactly that it does Um, have that feel yeah, and he is, of course, heavily inspired by Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just saying, I love how the uh, soldiers interacted with the children, mm-hmm. and we had their uh, internal monologue, which mm-hmm. is just cursing the children and being angry at them. But then you could also hear them like just saying really nice things, like you yeah. can do it. Yeah, <laughs> or keep going, keep going. just tolerating them, <laughs> but they love her. <laughs> Or the guy that was like just threatening the kid that he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just see all the sorts of different parenting styles. Yeah. Somebody peed himself and blamed it on the kids. Yeah. Uh-huh. That the kid part that was unexpected for me, the the little kids. You know, it was unexpected for me the first time I read. Hmm. Sin, she just oh, comes yeah. out of nowhere and it's like, oh, she's a high mage now. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. cool. She she saved hundreds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she saved hundreds. And she earlier that ended up saving strings and uh, the gang as mm-hmm. well. And earlier in the chapter, do you remember? Uh, Sin was like, I don't know. Sin was doing something. She weird. cut off a finger. Yeah, and uh, strings said, "Oh, right, we had one of her <laughs> mm-hmm. back in the bridge burners." And he's talking about sorry. So think about that. Mm, you think she's um, being possessed? I um, think. I don't think so. No. That no. that Sin does. Uh, she's she's not possessed. But you know how they're talking in this entire chapter about, like, oh, there's an elemental being born. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, Sin just kind of absorbed a lot of that energy, and that's what gave her the, the high mage powers. Uh, because <laughs> before this, she didn't seem to have exceptional magical, magical talent. She had, like, some. Mm-hmm. But um, I think she's, like, a sort of mibe. Um, and all of that oh. fiery power, it had to go somewhere. And a lot of it went into the city and the air and burning through the warrens. But I think also a lot of it went to sin. Hmm. Interesting theory. I cannot prove that or disprove it. How do y'all feel about Faradan Sort? I like her. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I like her. I don't want to like her, but I like her. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's the mooming? She saved Finn. She did. By going against her commander, her direct command. She deserts. Yeah, I don't know. I'm judgment is still 
out there. Is is it because she tries to stomp on the rat too? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I get it. Yeah. I I would want I stomp on you know spiders when I have shoes on, so I get that. I'm. I'm still upset about Joyful Union. <laughs> There's no you know, way that she could have predicted that the scorpion was so beloved. I mean, but normally I, I wouldn't. I'm upset. Yeah. But it's because Joyful Union has, like, the symbolic meaning and it's, like, important for the Malazana. But if it, if it were any other scorpion, if it just were a scorpion, I wouldn't care. Yeah, I know. And I was so mad at Erickson for that. Because I hate scorpions. Okay, and speaking he made of me feel so much for that scorpion. Speaking of hating Erickson, it's I don't actually hate him. Um, <laughs> I don't either, to be clear. <laughs> but like, th- at the beginning of this chapter, I just I had a really bad feeling, hmm. and it was very much like because you know we've read five books already. Like, I was like, okay, I know what Erickson is capable of and, like, what he will put his readers through. And so I just had, like, the worst outcomes. You know, I was, like, trying to prepare myself. And I even, like, messaged you guys. I was like, Fiddler better not die. Because mm-hmm. nobody no, is I safe. Didn't see that one. But, it was I mean, there. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> like, so, if you didn't, if you didn't feel like this, you wouldn't... F- you know, feel like you're supposed to. I know, I know. And it's it's not like, you know, I hate Erickson exactly. It's more of like, oh, you, how you yeah, would Yeah, very, do very this. strong emotions. I get it. Yeah. But which, it, it ended better than you anticipated. Yes. It? Yes, it did. So I just need to have, like, the worst, expect the absolute worst. <laughs> and then I won't. <laughs> so, I'll be like, oh, that was better than that's I smart, thought. smart, yeah. Um, the last time that I've had this this kind of visceral reaction to a book I was reading was Pierce Brown, because that guy Christ. really just like there's no there's no limit to what he'll do. Mm. Anyway, so I I, di- I did feel the same way, but after uh, after Egaton, I do have a feeling that Korab and Fiddler have plot armor. Okay. Really? Yeah, I, I I feel like if they were not gonna die there, they're gonna be, they're gonna die in the crippled god if they're gonna die. Sure. Like, I think that's just so now in the future when they're in peril, I'm like, oh, are they gonna die here? And then I'm like, but Fiddler can't. Fiddler can't, right? <laughs> and then, he needs to make it to the end. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's gonna be the only bridge burner that makes it to the end. Well, okay, Quickpin doesn't count. He's a, he's something more than a bridge burner, right? And so is Quickpin. But yeah. but Fiddler is the only like rank and file normal normal bridge burner. What about Bottle? Gonna make it all the way. He wasn't a bridge burner. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but I mean, like the rank and file like soldier. No, I'm just talking about the bridge burners. Gotcha. I think Fiddler is the one that's gonna carry all of them through to the crippled god. Yeah, I think you convinced me, Yasna. I think that, well, like, no way Fiddler dies before he takes up a career fiddling, right? Just kind of mm-hmm. clicks his heels and goes out into the rooftops. He needs a violin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he but needs I a fiddle. Did, before the end of this, I was afraid, because Erickson hinted mm-hmm. that there's no reason why there should be a way out of this these caves. You right. Know? And, and that scared the crap out of me. 
I was like, you would try to prove that point, wouldn't you, Steve? <laughs> yeah, and they just die all there. They just, they just ran out of air or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's like that guy who went cl- went climbing face first, and then he got stuck. And then they tried to get him out, and they just couldn't. And then they popped him up on morphine, and he died. <laughs> That's why you don't enter small holes when you're just spelunking. don't go in caves. They're like caves. But caves you know, cool. sometimes people don't have a choice because that's how they make their livelihoods, like miners. That's true. And sometimes they have to escape a burning city. Um, but if you have a choice, don't go into caves. <laughs> okay. Oh, but I will say that don't trust my intuition on stuff like that necessarily because I also did not expect Truth to die. I thought he had plot armor through to the end of at least oh. this book. It's not the yeah. I, I was wrong about that. So I thought the whole Gessler squad would have it. Like part of me, stormy. part of me still doesn't quite believe he's completely dead. I know, same. <laughs> I know. There's like I know. a sentient piece of truth flesh out there that has his being, and like, well, you know, I mean, like, a like finger crawling along. He was bronze too, in three different types of fire. He was annealed. Well, like Hedge, you know, he's dead. But he's not, like, gone. I was about to say that, but then I was like, wait a minute. How far did we get with the hedge stuff? Does she know that yet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm here. glad you said it. He talks to Fiddler. Yeah, and he was in book four. And he talks and he to talks Peron to later. Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm like, still holding out a little bit. The truth will still yeah. come back in some form. He'll right. be their spirit animal. Well, and there's this hint at the end of Dead House Gates about uh, about uh, Gessler and the rest being ascended now mm-hmm. or being close to ascension at that point and it's been like however mm-hmm. long since then but you know just because they're ascendant doesn't mean they can't die anyway but I, oh. also it's like what happens to ascendants when they die do they go through Hood's Gate or do they just dissipate or do they go somewhere else like I yeah. don't know any of these things we got we, in chapter 6 we did get the best explanation of ascendance that we've gotten so far. And you know what it is? You're harder to kill and you're more powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. it. It feels like Steve maybe just got like frustrated about people asking him questions. He just like snuck that little bit in. So yeah. it's just like, stop bothering me. It's a, it's a very vague category. We also mm-hmm. got um, a clearer, quote unquote, clearer definition of Warren, um, which is the whole blood is power, power is blood, uh, and the Warrens are, you know, Cruel's blood. Cruel's blood, and it's powerful, and that's what they're drawing on. We got that quite like, metaphorical too. Yeah, but it was this was like a lot clearer. It was it's not as much uh, you having to decipher the phrasing. Yeah, this is yeah. a lot more matter of fact. Um, do we have anything else to say about chapter seven? I mean, I got a couple so quotes. So much freaking happened. <laughs> yeah, it was exciting. It was exciting, and harrowing, was, uh, and funny. Towards um, the end. <laughs> I always have a thing when, like, I'm told that ha- how many troops are, are are in an army, and you start seeing them die. It like yeah. really bothers me when the, the number g- takes below ten thousand. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have ten thousand to start with to go in. No, they didn't. No, they were raided by Leoman before that. But still, like, there's something in my brain that just gets upset when a, when an <laughs> army isn't just at full strength. Oh well. Poor Pella. So, mm. here's the other thing. Like, this is not the first time we've gotten a perspective, 
like as the character is dying Mm -hmm. and it's just so like it doesn't the impact doesn't lessen every time it happens um and just like you as a writer when you're writing this like what kind of mindset are you in to like write this stuff you know Mm -hmm. yeah uh yeah we've done we've known pella a long time we we will probably have a extended conversation about this when you reach dust of dreams <laughs> oh goodness yeah okay because you can't you gotta like yeah. play it out in your head and like the way he writes it like i imagine have he's very it. emotional when he's writing it yeah um um there there was like a couple things that i think erickson did really well in this chapter is like uh you know the the real dangers of like explosives and fire like explosives and fire don't care which side you are on they're gonna do what they're meant to do and like even i can't remember who like thought i think it was like an internal monologue it was like warrior and soldier the fire held to no allegiance it was devouring everyone and that was just like uh makes you even more helpless it's like i i'm angry at fire or (laughs) you know uh yeah yep the oh the world is so cruel um yep who knew olive oil could do that Right. Have you ever been burned when you're cooking because the the oil was too hot? Yeah, but I mean, still it's a lot of olive oil. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a big difference between like being burned while cooking and just like building exploding, right? Well, yes, and but like even just like that little yeah. bit was like is painful. So. <laughs> and the buildings were soaked with oil. The uh, danger of explosives oil. bit. Um, I liked how it was so serious, but also was played for laughs at at mm-hmm. times. There's a running gag in the chapter, which provides much needed comic relief in such a heavy, grim chapter, uh, where the sappers are counting down to oh, the yes. explosion, and it's always like at eight or five when the explosion mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. You only yeah. counted uh, to eight. He was giving him up. I, I need yeah. yeah right. <laughs> It, ha- it happens again later. It's not as um, comical, but it still happens again. Mm-hmm. Or like um, when they were they were in the temple or something. Yeah. Right? yeah. And it, it was like, Hellion was like, oh, do you still have that cracker? And then every sapper was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think we would be remiss if we did not at least acknowledge the true tragedy of this hmm. chapter. Um, the olive oil merchants will potentially never financially recover from this <laughs> think of the lost product just thrown away aren't they like carrying their couches across the desert right now basically <laughs> yeah that too oh man the financial loss i mean i think they got bigger things to worry about than i don't whether think or not the they'll profit from the <laughs> do we want to, do we want to talk about honey dreams or wait for uh ladies oh, yeah, the honey questions dreams. Honey dreams. Yeah, we're talking about honey dreams. Yeah, Lady Sweden, we're we're doing this for you. Um, I like the crump stream uh, for the funny side the most because the the god of the motwood. Everyone knows his tricks. He's not funny anymore, but he thinks he is. 
and uh, I really like it. It's hilarious to me. Um, on the on the serious side, smiles. Go oh smiles. Oh my goodness, that was oh. so heartbreaking. I love smiles. <laughs> I just oh. want to, I just want to give her a hug and tell her it's okay, and be her friend because no, she, doesn't, she smile. doesn't have friends, and she hates yeah. men because they've just been cruel to her. I don't blame her. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cork is also cool. Mm. I like uh, I liked Gessler's. <laughs> Which I forget what Gessler's is. Uh, we read it in Memories of Ice. Is the uh, the death of Treach at the hands of the Kachinchamal. And he kind of teased us a little bit with that one because Gessler was like, I, I feel like... Th- the stuff before he died was important too, and then it's just like, dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't really important, right? Like Treach was just a guy, just ran around, tiger, like Charlie Sheen. Uh, I like bombs with all the disgusting gods in Dalhan. Oh yes, there's the dung beetle god that saved him from the snake god, and then uh, what was the god that came after? I don't remember, but it was funny. So bizarre. Yeah, he was going to be the. Uh, the champion of the dung beetle. You got to play around with people. Well, I was like, what twisted mind came up with all these gods? <laughs> we worship yep. him. The yeah. one I related to the most was Fiddler. <laughs> and he was like, uh, I don't want to wake up. I don't want to open my eyes. Fair. And it, uh, specifically, like, everybody wants him to make a decision. I'm like, yep, that's that's my job. And it's very stressful. And then Hedge comes along, kicks him around. It's like, stop lying around. You have people to save. Exactly. You got to keep going. You got to take us with you right to the end. But what's the end? So that is also a meta, a meta reason why I think Fiddler makes it to the crippled god. Because yeah. Hedge basically says he does. You got to take us to the end. But he doesn't right. say what the end is. There are both beginnings and endings to Malazan. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I do like how Steve isn't afraid to insert meta narrative stuff every now and again, uh, like he does most obviously with Krupp, who mm-hmm. is not even really a character in the world. <laughs> Udnas too. Uh, Udnas to a lesser extent, like he still like goes around and suffers, and, and you know people punch him and stuff. And, oh, and, I like, meant meta narrative. Oh yeah. Udnas like, critiques fantasy a lot. Um. Yeah, but like, at, like we talked to Steve, and he like he he said that Krupp like he doesn't exist in the world, right? Essentially, he's uh, he he sort of floats on top of it. You know what I am kind of surprised by and also missing? Where the heck is Hood? He's everywhere. Hood is everywhere. I know, like there was a character who was like, "Hood, don't look at us right now. Like, don't look at us tonight. Look away." And I was like, "Oh yeah." Where's Hood? We haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> yep. Um, for Yagatan specifically, um, it was a very dangerous place for everyone to be for that night. Um, so I actually maybe this is one of the times when Hood isn't actually there um, because uh, all of the all of the ghosts at Yagatan have been burned away apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Hedge confirms that Hood wasn't there. I know. Yeah. When he talks to Fid- Fiddler, he knew to stay away. Don't worry, you'll 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 get to see Hood again again, Panda. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like 
He's been with the Bonehunders the entire time in the form of Roach, right? Or is it Ben? I don't buy it. Highly suspicious that those dogs managed to survive. I mean, Mapo gave them the uh, the, the the vials, the life Convenient vials. excuse. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He used his last potion of healing. Yeah. Any last words for Chapter 7? Air quotes. Okay. From Korab. Me too. They're probably the same ones. Uh, I'll take the short one then. Compassion existed when and only one when one could step outside oneself to suddenly see the bars from inside the cage. That mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful words. He was talking mm-hmm. about uh, apes, I believe, being kept in cages. Mm-hmm. I just liked when he's like, thus I die a wise man, not a fool. Is there any difference? I still die after all. No, there is. I can feel it. That difference. I have cast off my chains. I have cast them off. Yep. Mm-hmm. And even trapped under Yagatan, he's free for the first time in his life. Boom. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Uh, I had two quotes I highlighted just to talk to you guys about them, and they were in chapter six. <laughs> 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 Whoops. Okay. Uh, I got a little bit more. Certainty, certainty was an illusion, a lie. Fanaticism was poison in the soul, and the first victim in an inexorable, ever-growing list was compassion. Who could speak of freedom when one's own soul was bound in chains? Yep. Steve is reaching out to through the page, and he's like, learn the lesson of these books. This is exactly why he wrote Malazan. I love Korra. Question. Um, who do you think he's actually speaking to? Everybody. With, but... Uh, yes. Korab or Steve? Steve. Okay. Like, um... It's not just the author, like, saying these words. It's also the reader being able to actually, like, receive the -hmm. words, being open to receiving them. And so, you know, if you already are familiar with compassion and, like, um, you have compassionate tendencies or are a compassionate person, I don't think you're necessarily the person that he is speaking to. But then if you're... if you're already like you don't care, do you understand um, what I'm saying? Like, so, um, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think that uh, even if someone is naturally compassionate, it's very easy to lose your compassion, or, or like essentially turn it off uh, in certain situations. Um, and a lot of the time in Malazan, we we get introduced to someone who we think is a villain, and, and traditionally in a traditional book would be a villain um but we get to see the other side of them and feel compassion even if they might not be redeemed and i think even if someone is compassionate then they can forget that and they can villainize certain people um thoughtlessly um, I'm still and it's also it. easy to stop being a pe- compassionate person because the world has been so cruel to you and like in malazan like he really does not pull punches and you do see people that have lost that. Even if they were once compassionate people, then they just, like, the world has been so cruel to them that they've uh, hardened and become cruel. Um, But also, it's not just a matter of, like, oh, there's, like, compassionate people over here and people that aren't compassionate over here. It's, like, fanaticism is its... And the, the, the fanatical certainty is, the, is a filter for compassion. It can, like, it's a negative filter that can wipe your compassion away for whoever the enemy is. Or like, whoever. give you reason not to be compassionate. Or, 
Yeah, but it doesn't mean you're not compassionate altogether. It's like a filter. Like it, these people deserve compassion over here. These people don't because they're the Melazans and they eat children. Tribalism answer. And um, you know, and Erickson. So who is he talking to? You know, I think he. I think if you put this at the beginning, of Gardens of the Moon, he's only talking to people who are ready to receive it. But he just spent six books priming us to receive it, you know, because uh, we're going through all of these things and we're ha- we're seeing characters that err on different sides of that spectrum and have different levels of that fanaticism filter on them. Uh, and we're viewing it through a filtered lens of fiction. So it's not us. He's not attacking us. He's preparing us to receive the message by having it be these other characters that are removed from us and from the real world that we can like process it all through. And it's like this long, I mean, we've been reading this book for over a year now, you know, like, series. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. The book of the fallen. Right. And uh, it's um, yeah, that's a lot of prep before you drive home the overt message here. Right. But also like one last thing I'll get off my soapbox. He also doesn't present it black and white either, because like here it's presented black and white, but we see that there are limits to Steve's compassion, even towards mm-hmm. these villainous characters with mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, the, the vengeance Carsa gets on Bitifall. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the only example, but it's a very stark one. So, you know, you know, anyway. who also spoke in metaphor and, fantasy so that his followers could better understand his message <sighs> yes um i i just want to say that uh piggybacking off what ashman said everybody knows pra- practically speaking everybody knows compassion is important but like yasna said it's easy to filter it out for certain situations and like i've read this book series x many times before i started reading it i could emphatically say that I was a less compassionate person, less empathetic in general. And each time I do, I learn more and I uh, become more introspective and try to, you know, cut off those parts of myself. Um, so I think he's just talking to me. Mm, that's true. He wrote the book for me. Uh, so like, yeah, everybody knows compassion is important, but it's not easy to always understand when you're not being compassionate, if or, that makes sense. Or why it's so important. Yeah. Um, before I read this, I, I, I think I've, I've gone over this. Like I had a very rigid view of justice, like eye for an eye sort of thing. Um, and yeah, this series like really showed me how monstrous that can be. Um, and the line in Covian has his memory and memories of ice about how compassion is priceless in the sense that it should be given freely. Um, I think that's a. a but Erickson himself has said he doesn't fully buy into it, Covians. He, he, he uh, like yeah he he doesn't know if he there. totally agrees with the Itkovian there but I think he does agree with the the the, the line about compassion maybe not Itkovian's radical acceptance of everybody uh, and their that idea uh, will be explored later on in the series yeah um, I guess I'm I, I'm doing a little bit of reflection like okay when I first started reading the series till now like. How has has this series changed me in any way? And I, I'm just kind of like, maybe? <laughs> it's, it's entirely possible that you didn't need to learn the lesson. Like, uh, uh, like I, I'm only speaking for myself when I, I say I needed to hear it. 
but yeah, there are people that just know this intuitively, I think. Um, well, I mean, I'm so not going to say maybe you're just I'm an supposed... exceptionally good person. No, 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 no. no. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to say those words um, or think that it's, it's more of like, I think uh, other things in my life have given me these lessons. And so therefore it's not like this series is having as much of an impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I am reading this later in my life than you and um, Huron fan read them. So that could be also something playing into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I would say about the, about when to filter out compassion is Erickson has a lot of protagonists who have to carry out objective-based actions that have consequences that sometimes, like, in order to carry them out in an organized way, like, particularly soldiers, they have to, like, put aside those concerns as things are in motion. And, like, those characters often struggle with, like, when to step back and do the compassionate thing and set aside that mentality of like, we can't think about those things. We have to just do the thing and Mm -hmm. achieve our objective because there's a higher, you know, compassion or a higher goal or a higher directive that we have to push to get through this situation. That means we have to ignore those concerns for now. So there's sort of like, yeah, for them, it's like life or death a lot of the time. But in real life, I think that, I mean, for me personally, I've looked at a lot of situations that are like, that looked at or participated in a lot of situations where uh, it may not be necessarily quote unquote life or death, but it's like, but like it is in a more like abstracted way of like, oh, we have to get this thing done because that's like food on the table for this number of people or whatever, and therefore anybody in our way, we can't have compassion for them (laughs) because we have to put food on these people's table, right? And so in having that movement in between, like, where you can consider everybody's humanity and where you have to, like, for the humanity of the people you're protecting or trying to advance their interests or against the people who are trying to deprive those people of humanity, you know what I'm saying? Like, Like, so for me, the message is kind of like, I don't know. It hits it hits home in a lot of ways because like I've been in that mode of like on the extreme end where I'm just like for the greater good screw these people and then yeah. on the other opposite end of like considering everything and like you know moving having to move between those two things and yeah, things like that because if you just are always in the like consider everyone and blah 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 you can't like do the necessary things you have to do to struggle to survive in our world or in the Malazan um, world. Uh, I, I think that Steve does not end up on any side of the, like on, on any f- side firmly of the issue. Um, I, I think he has said as much, but like he's, um, he's exploring all these different avenues through these books. And uh, like he says with Korab here, certainty is a poison. Um, so I think the most important thing that he wants us to take away is just be willing to reconsider things. Don't rigidly hold to any one belief, um, because once you do that, you can lose sight of, like, you're human, you can be fallible, and you, you probably missed something. Um, so, you know, just be willing to re-examine, like, literally all the time. 
very postmodern of him. Ah, yeah, that's true. Um, shall we move on to chapter eight? Yes, please. <laughs> oh, that's mine. <laughs> yeah, you have a summary. Uh, Ganos arrives on seven cities to find it's racked by plague. He meets a jag hut. She needs a bath. Uh, there just ha- happens to be a, a new bath at Uraku. Quickben, Klom, and Stormy have a meal in the Imperial Warman. Uh, the survivors of Yagatan get a bit of, bit by a rat, and they like it. Herb and Hellion do some S&M stuff, uh, and they all wonder if they can catch up with the army to escape the plague. And finally, Genos has a talk with the bridge burners, and he wants to summon the Daragoth. Bom, bom, bom. This chapter's cool. I really liked um, Perrin's uh, flashback to when he was inside the Azath house with Raced, and he had the conversation with Krupp, and uh, I really needed that. <laughs> yes. Um, it's funny, because when reading the conversation, um, it doesn't seem to me that Krupp actually told him that much that was useful. Like, he said, he, he essentially said, there's stuff going on at Seven Cities, and you might be too late to stop some of it. But you should still go. Yeah, but you should still go. And then that kind of kicks him into motion, and he starts, um, well, he, he, he continues all- to <laughs> He also uh, attests to his uh, boundless faith in Genoa's and then immediately uh, says that his faith is completely shaken and Genoa's is kind of an idiot. <laughs> and like the same. <laughs> yes. But also, um, he kind of gives Genoa's a, a, a like hint of what to expect once he gets there. Because he tells him, like, um, you must walk the singular shadow between dare Krupp utter such dread words between life and death, the wavy blurry metaphor so callously and indifferently trespassed by things that should know better, which I mean, is still kind of vague, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, definitely life and death. Cause he said for hood's sake, Krupp's like, yes, indeed for hood's sake. Yes. Poor hood. So I'm going to see hood in the next, next section. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you've seen Hood already. Oh He's shown up in every book so far. Oh, yes. Of course. Okay. Except for Midnight Tides. Maybe he was hidden there. That's true. He was probably Bug. Probably <laughs> hiding in the tides. But Bug pretends that he, he's revealed to be male, but he's actually Hood. It's mm. like three, four, five dimensional chess. Oh, God. Those are all my notes for the chapter. <laughs> well, Stormy tells... Um... Kalam and Quickben about how he got the Talana Mass Sword, which was a nice callback to mm-hmm. Lagana Breed. But during that whole scene where you know Stormy was making a lot of sense, um, at the end of that section, Kalam looks suspiciously at the empty chair and like there must be somebody there. Who's the right? chair for? Who's this throne for? This shadowy throne. I mean, that my thought was like, okay, Shadow Throne was probably there listening to find out, like, what do these people know? That's it. Either him or Cotillion. I don't think it's Cotillion. Um, the other one was like, okay, maybe it's Escrow Puss, but that's pretty quiet for him. <laughs> I don't think Escrow Puss would go to the trouble of setting up a feast for someone. He might get the mule to do it, though. His servant. He also um, couldn't sit and quietly listen to anyone. That That's what I was thinking. I was <laughs> like, oh, he's too... Or maybe he could. He's just... He's, just be, he's very elaborate with his assumptions. Um, we get more information about the errant here. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. cool, right? Um, 
Its enemy is ennui and stagnation. Yep. We get a hint as to how the power of gods works. Um, God's work. Yeah. Um, he Essentially, back, way back when, he got really tired of everyone and their conflicting desires. And they're all calling on him and saying, ah, I need you to kill this person. And the, the other person's like, I need you to kill that person. Um, and then he, he essentially just retreated into being an arbitrary avatar of chaos <laughs> to get out of it. Which I guess is fair. He didn't want his mouth filled with blood all the time. That doesn't sound like a pleasant experience. Does this still about the errant? Yep. Speaking of mouth of blood, I really enjoyed how quickly Bottle went from worshipping Yagathan to cursing at her. <laughs> yeah. That's really the cycle of all believers, right? <laughs> so, like, first of all, this whole plague thing, too real. Oh, right? Too real. Real. It's a how little more... It's a little more virulent and deadly, but yeah. Still, a lot more. Yeah, a lot more. Definitely more but deadly. But still. Hmm? Definitely more deadly. I don't know about more virulent. It's <laughs> like every up. single person that's not. Yeah, isn't everybody dying? Yeah, the, the, it's everyone. Yeah, but, no, it is more deadly. But it's yes, not as more deadly. deadly. Okay. So the bite from the rat. <laughs> Is that it's a just vaccine? A rat. Oh just my a god, rat. I knew you were going to say that. It's just a rat. The rat is a no. rat. <laughs> Which, if and that is a vaccine... And they're something that is not. If that is a vaccine, that is pretty um, ironic, because... <laughs> well, they talked earlier about how blood is power, and they're giving power to this being that saved their lives. It's just it's just a, a type of a... Mm-hmm. Sure. It's a, I would say it's um, just human instinctive ritualization of mundane things leading to those things becoming supernatural or in this case not supernatural it's just a rat i mean they don't they didn't have a choice didn't the rat just bite them no they they, they, they lined up and they like pet the rat and the rat bit them all in turn it didn't start like that though like they only lined up to pet the rat and then the rat started biting them and then it became a ritual yeah okay (laughs) This is how belief systems form. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, we'll see if any of these characters die from this plague. Or from the rat bite. I don't think the rat bite's <laughs> going to kill them. Um, speaking of rats, though. So, you know how per, uh, Peron was going to, like, ask Hedge to summon the Daragoth? It reminded me of, like, mongoose. The whole, like, mongoose being invasive species in Hawaii. Oh. Yes. Yeah. That yeah, reminded me of that too. Yeah. Magora okay, releases so if, freshwater sharks as well in this chapter. So, if listeners don't know about mongoose and Hawaii, basically, a long time ago, Hawaii sugarcane, very you know profitable crop, but rats kept biting and eating the sugar canes. So, somebody was like reading this research about how in India they use mongoose to take care of rat problem. So then they decided to introduce mongoose into Hawaii. Turns out rats are nocturnal. Mongoose are not nocturnal. They did not cross paths. And so now they have both both being there. And now mongoose are invasive species. So that's not okay. So I didn't, it didn't make me think of that. What it made me think of, and this is what I thought you were getting at, Mm. is when 
is is a similar thing, but where like the predator does eat the the introduced predator does eat the prey, but then has no natural predators, so it becomes uh, its there's own that problem. Too. And then you have to like release another thing. So yep. like yeah, the nameless ones were like uh you know, Mapo Trail's a problem and we need to use Ikarium to deal with another problem, so we'll release this predator. And then Peron's like, oh, but this predator's a problem, so we'll release these other predators. Yep. Yeah. Um, the Simpsons <laughs> did this best, I think. Um, in The Simpsons, they uh, they accidentally introduce a, a species of um, uh, lizards that overrun the town. Uh, it turns out the lizards ate, ate the pigeons that were infesting the area, so that's good. But now they're overrun with lizards. Well, yeah. their plan is to release a bunch of snakes, which will eat oh, the lizards. Of course. Then they'll be overrun with snakes. However, there's a new breed of snake-eating gorilla that they're going to introduce. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be overrun with gorillas. Gorillas, right? No, that's the beauty of it. When winter comes around, the gorillas simply freeze to death. Hmm. <laughs> so they figured it out out an end to the cycle. <laughs> so the... Jaggets will calm and freeze the Daragoth to death. Or to stagnation. Um, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Anything else for this chapter? We can go chapter nine, yeah? Chapter nine. Veed lies to poor Icarium. Hiboric talks about weird religious stuff while Salara complains about pregnancy. Karsa goes hunting. Pus finds Mapo, and Magora heals him with the combined powers of urine and the moon. We found out Cotillion saved Yeel. Poor Pearl. I don't freaking care about Pearl. Oh. He is uh, not good. He's a jerk. <laughs> I like Pearl. I yeah, liked I Pearl really in bad. this part of the book. He's well, like his arc so far in the book is like him and Lestari have kind of broken up, and he's become like a sullen little child who is now doing drugs. Wasn't he no. thought his love died? Well, that no, 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 that 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 he 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 probably was doing drugs after he thought Lestara died. <laughs> no, maybe he was just no, sad. that is a misreading. The guy who thinks he's doing drugs thinks that because he assumes Pearl has no feelings because he's an assassin. It's true. He does. He's have crying. Red eyes. He is crying. Yeah. Broken up about losing his girl. Yeah, he really he loved her, even though he liked to pretend like he didn't. <laughs> Um, he was a deadbeat. He was a deadbeat boyfriend. Lestar could sense that, and she broke up with him because of it. Well, she's gonna have to choose. That's right, she is gonna have to choose. Maybe. Well, um, I hate Terralock Veed more than anything right now. Okay, so what what it really happened is, like, is Veed like, manipulating Ikarium to make Ikarium think he's the one that's been with him this whole entire time, but, like, to mm -hmm. what end is he, like, wanting Ikarium to kill the, whatchamacallit, demon thing? Darago? Or the Dejun Nebral? He wants Ikarium yeah. to kill something. Um, Raffo, but yes, he's definitely manipula manipulating Ikarium to do something, most likely killing. Unleash that rage. Yes. Terror like Veed now has a Hulk. Mm. Yeah, he's disgusting, and Mappo was my boy. Yeah, Veed sucks, and I really want Mappo to get Ikarium back. But what is Mappo uh, gonna do when Mappo's he gets all better? He's back. not dead. That was nice. Yeah, really I really liked. Thing. I really liked um, uh, the marital conflict between Iskral Pust and Magara, <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, his ridiculous, insane um, 
commentary on the differences between gender and the sexes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's which my quote. is like, yeah, that's one of mine too. Uh, yeah. um, go ahead. <laughs> well, first he talks about the. Uh, he can't understand the woman's language. Mugar is singing the woman's language. It's gibberish to him. Um, just as the man's language is gibberish to her. Uh, that's because the man's language is gibberish. Um, mm -hmm. It's a fact that men don't need words, but women do. We have penises, after all. Who needs words when you have a penis? Whereas with women, there are two breasts, which invites conversation, just as a good behind presents perfect punctuation, something every man knows. What's wrong with the world? You ask a man and he says, don't ask. Ask a woman, and you'll be dead of old age before she's finished. Ha. Ha ha. <laughs> Which is so ironic for him. It's very ironic. <laughs> it's very, very, very ironic. <laughs> but, you know what? It's also kind of meta. Yeah. Um, in that Erickson, like, cut his teeth on writing short stories. Mm -hmm. He is also male, and he's written, like, the most, one of the most verbose like oh, yeah. series like all the all fantasy. the really big epic fantasy series besides war of light and shadow are all just written by men yeah <laughs> clearly have a lot to say that is hilarious yeah pattern of shadow and light um, also krupp krupp is also very verbose and a krupp male character yep mm -hmm. like there aren't that there aren't really any female characters that i can think of that just jabbers on in the series yeah well, he's He's kind of just like doing the 1980s stand-up comedian routine of like, oh, I hate my wife. She won't shut up. <laughs> but, and, and it's, I think it oh, hits different because it's in Malazan. Because like, in our world, there are people who believe crazy stuff about the differences between men and women because we have like, patriarchy as an established like, thing in society. It's like a globalized thing. But then like, like, uh, in Malazan, there are essentially no real g gender differences, right? Uh, and so, and, and no, like, hierarchy. So only crazy people, like Pust, believe crazy things like this, unless you're, like, the, there's, like, backward tribes in some places that do in Malazan, right? Mm -hmm. So it just hits different because it's, like, actually funny because it is, like, a mirror held up to that kind of, of humor. So you're, like, laughing at the humor, but you're also laughing at the humor if that you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying like yeah i don't know i actually i i actually read this part to some friends as i was reading it and they're like what are you reading it's just like horribly sexist trash come on and Daniel. i was i had to explain like okay it's just this character da, 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 da. anyway yeah <laughs> yeah i know that there's like no winning with that right unless they I read don't the think whole i sold series the series to them yeah. <laughs> oh no he's he's sexist but it's funny because he's not really serious about it or you're not supposed to take him seriously he does show up for several books though and he talks a lot <laughs> he's not exactly evil he's <laughs> he does just kind of like curb stomp those uh monsters the dendron Nibral. yeah dendron Nibral getting your asses kicked <laughs> yep. Are they supposed to be at like? Yes, yep. they're supposed to be. <laughs> I love that about this series because you're told over and over again that like the old races and the old gods are like these big bad mean things, and then whenever one of them like comes back after not being around for thousands of years, they're like, "Oh right, my reign of terror was about to begin," and they immediately just get curb stomped by everything, and especially mortals. 
Like, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite tropes in Malazan. It starts with Gardens of the Moon with Raced, and it just keeps going. And it's mm-hmm. so fun. Mm-hmm. I love it. Like, these beings are legitimately very powerful. But uh, guess what? Like, bombs exist now. And you can just bomb them. Yes. <laughs> Which is uh, hilarious. Also, we got to see why Shadow Throne might keep his girl pussed around. Because he's, like, this badass mage. And... You know, there is no indication of that up until this point. He is doing what he t- he's told too. Yeah, and it does. Uh, yeah, it like totally fits with Shadow Throne's persona because Shadow Throne himself, if he wasn't a god or an emperor, like he probably wouldn't think much of him. He just would be like an insane guy who's talking about nothing. Um, uh, but yeah, he didn't. He's not an emperor slash god for nothing. And... Um, my quote is also from Post. And he's yelling at the mule because the mule's not doing what he wants. And he threatens to kill it with kindness and then punch it when he's surprised. <laughs> he said, no mule can match wits with me. Oh, yes, many have tried and almost all have failed. <laughs> uh, so you guys got my two quotes for the chapter. No, I have no go. quotes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, he's... Oh, I love his real best. <laughs> he Very is good. the best. And when he's arguing with Mugara, she's like, no, no, I don't need you here tending to, tro- uh, to uh, Mapo. Mapo. Uh, just set up the camp. He's like, I already told the mule to set up the camp. And she's like, it's a mule. It turns around. The camp is set up. The camp is set up. The mule's eating out of its bag of oats. <laughs> and she has ties with the moon goddess, we learn. And then she ran away when somebody noticed. Well, um, she's all. Okay, so that's what our data, our data. Well, I say our daughter, but yeah. Our daughter. Yeah. Okay. She's also connected to Jakaraku, right? Jakaraku? The, the destroyed continent? The mostly destroyed continent. That was from Memories of Ice. Yeah. Um, that's when it, it's originated, yeah. Um, she uh, she shows up in the novels of the Malazan Empire. You know, if she weren't like spider aspected whatever thingy, I would like her more. <laughs> um, I do really? like her, but mm, gross. I-, I figured you'd think she's a little crass. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but I did get a chuckle out of it. I mean, just imagining what that would look like You're is pick- pretty picking funny. Tiny hairs off her head. Very few. Yeah, she's around the stones, peeing on them. <laughs> Crab-like, yeah. yeah. Um, another funny part is Carsa. And the veterans and telling Samar, like, oh, you're going to be the bait. And then he just goes and does everything himself. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he kills the two bulls easily. Like, not even a. Well, no he kills one bull and a and a cow. Oh, that's true. Yeah. The other bull runs away. Yeah. They, they had a good conversation, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing new, but it's good stuff. <laughs> Samar's like, he's done this before. Telling people <laughs> to witness. And then she sarcastically offers to have sex with him. Right. And he's like, I mean, if you want to. If you want, yeah. She doesn't really have anything to say to that. Hmm. How much of a joke was it, though? I I don't think women are ever fully joking when they say that, right? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I can only speak for myself. No. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, are we good? Yeah, we can go to listener questions. Oh, is that me? Sorry. <laughs> it looks like it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, all right. 
Listener questions. Uh, Red Army Ian asks, where is Yagaten in the list of most memorable chapters? Oh. Number one for me so far. So far. Number one. Um, Number one. He specifically didn't ask it to me. Um, so I'll refrain from my long answer okay, that I would otherwise give. Um, right. It's not number one for me. Number one for me is probably the the uh, confrontation between Sita Kurokon and uh, the Warlock King in, in Midnight Tides. Uh, but it's up there. It's like top five for sure. It's one of the pivotal moments of the series that like everyone talks about on the forums. I yeah. More in... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I'm more in Ash's camp. I don't think it's number one for me. I, I might have to sit with it a little more, but like Memories of Ice, the that that ending battle part that was mm-hmm. more impactful Black than this. Yep. So, <clears throat> um, I think it's number one for like at the time that you're reading it. For me, this one hit the hardest at the time. But what I really like about the earlier battles in the series is how, at the time, they're kind of flashes in the pan almost, or some of them are, and even the ones that are really serious, you're unpacking them for, like, books and books and books. Like, Mm -hmm. people... I still don't know if I understand everything about the Siege of Pale, but that the bulk of that information came out over the course of Gardens of the Moon, Dead House Gates, Memories of Ice, and even Mm -hmm. a little bit in House of Chains. And and still, I'm not sure I'm 100% on it. And then, like, the Chain of Dogs, the characters are still processing that in Book 6. And mm-hmm. uh, Black Coral, still processing it several books later. I'm sure Egaton will be the same way. But for me, yeah. like, yeah, so I guess, like, I don't know, probably the Chain of Dogs is the bigger one for me. But only, but, like, added to that like everything that built up to it and all the processing that's happened over the four books mm-hmm. like up to this point you know versus like egaton it's like while you're in it it's four hours long or three hours long if you're a fast reader and it just goes on and on and on and you have that sinking feeling like from beginning to end with you know very little relief and even that relief it's like the nervous chuckle while you still feel terrible and are just like going through I did, curse. I did curse a lot while I was reading this chapter. Yes. <laughs> Same. So, yeah, this is... Oh, let me get on my history soapbox. This is how history works, right? <laughs> We're still processing the events of World War One, And, like, arguably, still events before that. You can still draw, like, very yes. direct lines. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Steve understands his history. Good job, Steve. Um, and... Just for like this moment specifically, um, it is, I would say, the defining moment of the Bone Hunters, this army. Um, and they didn't really have something before this that they could lean to as like their founding myth, but now uh, they kind of do. I see what it's you mean. So, Egaton, you know, not defining as much as founding. So, it's like Raraku for the bridge burners. Yeah. Well, like they, they, yeah, like they they'd already been around a long time before this. They had fought in battles, but like this is what makes them, you know, mm-hmm. this is what, the moment that def- defines them, as opposed to the other Malazan armies. I see what you mean. Cool. 
All right, next question from Dusty Strings. During the conflagration, there are hosts of characters who really shine, who had one of your favorite moments. I mean, we talked about like favorite moments from the Honey Dreams, but overall, what stood out? Um, uh, Sin. <laughs> she just, like everyone around is dying and uh, she comes out like uh, very close to a deus ex machina. Yeah, um, she is. She is a messiah figure right now, um, in in this chapter. Um, so, like for that reason alone, she stands out to me more than the others because everyone else is they're they're still doing soldier things, and a lot of them are dying and being miserable. Um, so, like she is the most distinct from everyone else, in my opinion. But Bottle did so much to save them. Yeah, he's for not me. my favorite though. Uh, the. My, my favorite moment in the chapter was when Korob was dragging uh, Fiddler and they had their conversation about why he had to save him. And then Gessler comes with Gessler's story. Yeah. Yeah, Gessler comes and saves him. He's like, it was like the hardest he goes thing I ever back. had to do. Yeah, he goes back. And he was like, you don't understand what I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't choose um, the moment where Korob finds the children. That's that's her, That's her. my answer to another question later. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I really have an answer to this one. Honey Dream Salamander? <laughs> pull my tail. Pull my tail. Here, pull my finger. It'll be really funny. I cut mm -hmm. up my shins. Uh, yes, and do you have an answer? The, um, the tension, I, I, I feel like the tension is like, like, as it builds at the beginning, is part of what really, like, sets the stage for how impactful everything else is. And I feel like a big key and setting up that tension is them like thinking they're going to come up to the wall and they're going to get like pelted with arrows and magic, like as they're trying to lay the bombs, which doesn't happen, but you have like this terrible sinking feeling and you're wondering why it's not happening. And then the things go awry with the explosives. So like that scene really stuck out to me because it like, it's like the beginning of like the horror feeling setting in. Yeah. And, you know, and also, like, I really like the skin knee thing. I know you said it was ripped from Saving Brian, but, like, whatever. I haven't seen that movie since I was, like, 15. It's, and, like, this, that's not a criticism. Like, it's a good rip. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was really uh, human humanizing of uh, and, like, kind of drove home, like, how shitty this, how bad this is for uh, these people mm -hmm. to go through. I really and how these people... <laughs> I really enjoyed the part where Bottle was going around telling all the sergeants about the meeting um, with the captain because that was when I got to see like all the Malazan characters. It was mm -hmm. just like all Malazan. They're and all doing crazy to, things. <laughs> yeah, you get to see how they're responding and reacting, and you know how their leaders were leading. Um, a lot of banter. So. Friendly boars. Um. um. There, there, there's a my 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 uh, sort of favorite squad gets introduced sort of here. Um, Dead smell and throat slitter, two of my favorite characters from the, uh, the army. Slitter. They're so cool. Oh, Wittershins. Wittershins. <laughs> yeah. I had to look up that word. Okay, next question from Livia. Was there any change in your attitude or feelings towards Leoman since we first saw him up until now? 
and why was it an, an extreme one? At least for her, it was. I was I was disappointed. He's a real bastard. I was like, really? This is where you're going with this? Okay, all right. I never loved Liamon, uh, so it wasn't that big. But I hated him first when I read this. Now I'm not going to say anything more comment anymore. I'm just saying I don't anymore. This is a horrible thing for him to do and a horrible thing for people to go through. And I immediately saw why everyone hates Leoman. I, I, I understand why he did it. He was sick of the fanatics, sick of them looking up to him. He wanted to be disconnected from all of it. Obviously, that's not an excuse, but like I didn't come out hating him. But like also, this was a horrible atrocity. <laughs> like I'm not condoning his behavior at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a it's just I'm just like, well, that sucks. <laughs> Something I was thinking about as we were reading this is like, um, you know, thinking about if you were in Liaman's position, what would you have done? Right. That was one of my things is like, I guess you could just die trying to leave without doing something like this, like get killed by your own people. Like, do you consider him a coward? I don't think he's a coward, but I think this is a about the most morally bankrupt thing you can do. Um, like, I, I get it. He was sick of fanaticism and he wanted it just to kind of be over and to, like, do his own thing away from the apocalypse. Uh, but he still let himself get in this position in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And just kind of, like, burning down your responsibilities in a very literal way um, is not what adults do, or it's not what they should do. Like, you should deal with your problems, you shouldn't shoot your problems or burn them. What would that concretely mean for him, though? In this situation, um, I'm not sure. Um, but fortunately, the scale of this atrocity is so, so high that like almost anything he did would have been better, uh, like in, in an alternate situation. Maybe not for him personally, but like he, he could have tr- like tried to rehabilitate the army or... <laughs> like disperse it or like whatever. I don't know. Um, those would all have had, had ramifications of their own, but like this was an evil act. Could he have done his trap without the fanatics actually being there? Um, he, he did need them and he did use them for this. And I think a lot of them did know what was like, coming. Couldn't, couldn't he have a like a really did. long rope as a wick? <laughs> Maybe, but he wanted them all to die. He wanted it to be the end. But then he makes a, a deal with the queen of dreams. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's just trading one, you know, <laughs> it's like trading one cult for another. Um, yeah, the Queen of Dreams is uh, interesting in that she's, like, not super into cults. But, like, generally, I agree. Like, he's trading one mistress for another. Right. Infants. Yeah. Okay. Kind of, like, hoping it'll turn out for the better. <laughs> I mean, I don't, like, really hate Leoman exactly. It's just, uh, I'm curious to see, I'm more curious to see what the Queen of Dreams has planned because she it seems like she's trying to save someone and what Loric has to do with this mm-hmm. okay next question um so we i'm gonna skip okay from lady sweden 
Yucatan or Coral, if you were forced to join one battle, which one? Oh my goodness. Coral. Easy. Coral. Burning alive is no one's idea of fun. Yeah, definitely Coral. Yeah. yeah. I would choose Coral too because um, Rake was there for that battle. <laughs> At the end. And like, I knew that, you know, he's there somewhere and with this one, it's like there, there's no. I guess Sin is kind of the closest, but uh, yeah, she's no Animander. No, she's not. <laughs> yeah. Does Yesa have an answer for this? Coral. I don't want to burn. Or it's yeah. Suffocating <laughs> no, thank you. All right, that's uh, that is all the questions we got. Um, I did have one last thing that was kind of more general. Um, comment about Malazan, like something about you know how we've talked about how Erickson writes in this not like so clear, straightforward way, and readers have to do a lot of work to figure out like what's important, what's happening, etc. And you know, like for us, it's a collective for readers, it's a collective experience to like do the work, and like for for us on this podcast. We have each other to like bounce ideas off of, to talk through things. And that's what is, you know, gives us the bonding moments as people and as readers. But if you really think about it, it's also like kind of cult like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the, the, you know, Van Lazen fans are. I don't know. I haven't interacted as much as you guys have. Um, um, yeah, like, I, I don't strongly identify with the fandom. I, I kind of just like the series, and I like talking to people about the series. But, yeah, there are certainly um, people who get, get more culty about it, I would say. <laughs> and, I mean, I know I've drawn this comparison before in this uh, episode, but it's like the Howlers for the Red Rising Saga, like, the really die-hard Howlers are a bit cult-like. And it's, I think there's there's quite a bit of parallels in terms of reading experience for Red Rising and for Malazan. I mean, Red Rising isn't necessarily as complex um, or as long so far, but, like, the emotional impact is, is yeah, bonding the readers. Yeah, I think there is... Um a fine line to be walked between developing a community of like-minded mm -hmm. people and developing like essentially a cult. And I think that's something that people should just keep in mind whenever they get really into something with other people um, because humans are very susceptible to it. People who join cults are not generally stupid people. Um, it's just there's something about the human brain that really likes being in a tribe and this can be exploited i've been part of two cults so <laughs> yeah and like obviously as not like a stupid person <laughs> mm -hmm. i've started three so you've started three <laughs> no you make more money as a leader but you have more fun as a follower uh i mean there was that whole thread about like ignorance and innocence and everything too which we didn't mm -hmm. even talk about which anyway this episode is already too long so um are we good to wrap up yeah it's not it's not like a super long episode though i guess only like two hours right
Uh, it's not that bad. It'll probably be less than two hours. It will be less than two hours. It will yep. be. We'll, we'll just cut out all the segments of... Uh, Ashwin yes, talking. talking. And, <laughs> yeah, it'll just be Panda, actually. <laughs> Who wants to listen to that? I think everybody. I think that's, uh, I think that's the reason we have listeners in the first place. No. Let's stop. <laughs> I thought it was really sweet how people on Reddit like us. Oh, oh yeah. Thank you for the kind comments, them. everybody. Yeah, that was really nice to read. Sorry, we haven't really been updating people. But yes, thank you for caring and listening. <laughs> thank you for checking and, in on your neighbors. <laughs> hey, and, with, alive. <laughs> and with that, that uh, concludes this episode. If you want to join our very slow read-along and or contribute listener questions, check us out on the Legendarium's Discord. You can find the link on thelegendarium.com. Also follow us on Twitter at Green Team Pod for updates and fun times. Check out the Legendarium podcast for Wheel of Time, Cosmere, Lord of the Rings content, and so much more. Thank you to our panelists, Ashmon, Yasna's boy, and Huron fan. I'm Befuddle Panda. Until next time. Bye. See you later, everybody. Bye bye. Pew pew. pew, pew, pew. Cool.